Welcome to The Signal Podcast. I'm Jennifer Lee. And I'm Robert Crossley. This is a podcast all about social activism of all kinds. From students protesting about tuition hikes to oil and gas opposition far and wide, right down to the food we eat, activism happens when people want to change the status quo or start a conversation. This week, our radio reporters with the University of King's College School of Journalism hit the street to see what that looks like in Halifax right now. Dylan Cunningham was at the Student Day of Action recently. Students from Dalhousie and King's College marched downtown in support of free post-secondary education. So how are you doing today? Can I hear a warm welcome for Aaron Prosper? is a right. I am here because we are all more than cogs in the capitalist machine making money to spend money. And we will fight and win free education for everyone. And we're going to go ahead and march. What do we want? Free education. What do we want? Other countries like Germany, they have free tuition, so we think that education is a right and we should have the same opportunities. Students united will never be defeated. I can't afford my current tuition and I don't think that it's fair that students should have to pay what they do, especially when, let's say, eight years ago, they didn't have to pay half as much. Free education should be should be a right given to all students. It's an economic benefit to actually happen to our economy. And if other countries are able to get away with it, then why can't Canada? We're all in engineering, and it's been particularly rough on the professional programs. So I think ours is going up by 2,700 over the course of three years. Any students not making over $25,000 a year no longer have to pay back until they are? What do you guys think of that? If you're like $40,000 in debt, that still doesn't really help that much if you're only making $25,000 a year. $25,000 a year, that's pretty much minimum wage. Like that's, what, $13 an hour maybe? $12 an hour? I'm not happy with that. <laughs> that's really not a new thing. Uh, People have been packaging a lot like it's an exciting new program that students will be able to really benefit from this. But the reality is that $25,000 is actually really below the poverty line. Um, and students sh shouldn't have to pay these enormous debt even if they're making that amount of money. So it's, it doesn't really add anything. I think it's just like a strategic move to do this right before a National Day of Action. It's basically just repackaging what already, was already announced in the budget. It's not what we've been asking for. It's not what we've been demanding. We heard from organizers Kathleen Reed and Mo Kabara, as well as several students at the protest. Suzanne McNeil teaches people how to protest. She is the president of the Halifax Dartmouth and District Labor Council and organized a so-called Troublemakers Conference, helping activists learn to get their message across efficiently. She spoke to my co-host Robert Crossley. One thing that you see all the time in Halifax, you know, every month or so is another rally. There's always something going on. You know, right now it's the uh, the uh, protest for uh, uh, free tuition. Um, 
you know, another another month it might be something else. But these are only the things that are visible and that we see. In terms of uh, union activity and in terms of activism, a lot of the stuff that goes on is stuff that isn't necessarily visible. There's a lot of organizing work behind the scenes, um, having a lot of one-on-one conversations with uh, with our fellow workers and how, trying to get some campaigns and issues off the ground and you know, even things as basic as like, you know, how do you unite people to stop a particular injustice in the workplace? So, and that is what the Troublemakers Conference is all about. It's about giving people those basic organizing skills in order to um, do the activism, in order to fight injustice in the workplace and beyond. That's marvelous. And so how would you suggest uh, for anyone who's new to the Halifax activism scene or even just new to Halifax in general that they get involved with a cause if they find something that they're interested in? Sure. I mean, there there are a number of different things. I mean, I'm the president of the Halifax Dartmouth and District Labor Council. So if if someone's a union member, they are welcome at our monthly meetings. They take place um, the second Wednesday of every month. but, you know, if you're not a union member, there are a number of other things, too. I mean, there's obviously the student movement that organized this amazing demonstration today. Um, and then there are also uh, some political organizations like Solidarity Halifax that do organizing on an ongoing basis. And membership is open to anyone that, um, that relates to an anti-capitalist analysis and wants to do some anti-racist organizing and political organizing and that kind of stuff. That was Suzanne McNeil, the president of the Halifax, Dartmouth, and District Labor Council, speaking to Robert Crossley. The protests around the Dakota Access Pipeline have sparked coverage around the world. Here in Halifax, Raven Peyote and Samar Chater organized a march in solidarity with the protesters south of the border. Our Lara Lewis was there. Great spirit, good creator of all things, grandmothers and grandfathers, before sacred directions, before sacred races, Please hear our humble prayer. We come together today in solidarity with our Lakota, Nakota, Dakota brothers and sisters. The government doesn't really listen to us very much, and I'm hoping that I can change uh, with more inclusion, I guess. Love. It's what it is. It's what's motivating us to do this. Uh, a lot of our Canadian banks are funding this uh, like tragedy. Yeah, uh, RBC and uh, TD Bank and also Scotia Bank. Well, I just think it's really important. I wanted to show the kids um, what Halifax can do when we get together. Well, I want I want them to be a part of what's going on, and I want them to know about what's going on. So we had a big talk about um, what is going on in Standing Rock. And thank you guys all for coming and standing in unity. I think it's good that they know what's going on in the world. Um, I'm standing in solidarity with the support to uh, the people, Aboriginal uh, people in the state. But Dakota um, is another Edmonton, is another Fort McMurray, is another Rexton, is another um, Kennecook. Our water is important, our land is important. Um, at the end of the day, we're also living here, we're living things. You're thinking that life is more important than oil and um, improperly managed energy management, basically. We might not make everything right, but if we're on the page and heading towards goodness, everything will count. Water is life and people. People in Africa are like starving and they're 
thirsty and they don't have any drinks. This is about all the water on Mother Earth. This is about all the water where people have to fight for their water. What's more violent than what they're doing to our water? What's more violent than what they're doing down at Standing Rock? Not just in uh, Standing Rock, not just in Grassy Narrows, Muskrat Falls. Stand up and defend the land and the waters. That's the reaction you'll get from the state. And the only thing that depends on the counter that is us. Our first world is, is a water world in the womb. When we come to I think everybody should just do their best to protect the earth. We're putting a boycott out for three banks uh, in Canada who are actually funding Standing Rock, funding uh, the violence. <laughs> We are not heathens! We're not animals in the woods! Your doctrine of discovery is bullshit! If they're entitled to their entitlements, then we have a right to our right! Uh, it's easy for us to fall into like a state of anger and fear, but it's important to remember what motivates us, and that's love. Those sounds were collected and mixed by The Signal's Lara Lewis. The advent of technology and social media has changed the way people live and also the way we protest. Think the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge or Coney 2012. Online campaigns have gone viral and spread awareness. The pipeline protests at the Standing Rock Reservation in North Dakota have also caught international attention through Facebook check-ins. The idea is to confuse police who may have been using Facebook check-ins as a part of their protest surveillance. It got people talking, but it may have not had the effect people expected. Signal reporter Matt Kahansky spoke to Dalhousie students for their take on the trend. Hi there. How do you feel about people checking into North Dakota online through Facebook as a form of social activism? Uh, yeah, I've done it. How do you feel about doing it? Uh, I think it's a good way for us to show support when you can't physically be there yourself, so mm -hmm. I agree with it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, did you originally check in to try to throw off the police? Yes. And now that it's been proven that that doesn't work at all, do you I change? didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there was actually a report released, I think it was yesterday, the day before, that the police aren't actually using Facebook check-ins to track people. Oh. Does that change your opinion at all on your own check-in? Uh, no. I think it's still important to show support, so... Hey folks, sorry to interrupt. How do you guys feel about people checking into Standing Rock on Facebook? Have you heard of that at all? With the North Dakota Access Pipeline, people are checking uh, in? Yeah, I find it interesting. It's not really my... I, wouldn't really, I don't really know if it's a, kind of like a slacktivist type of thing for me, but... You know, they can. It's their prerogative. They, they believe that's the way they can. You know, promote them. You know, be like this. I'm. I'm with them. Yay for them. But for me, it's kind of like, eh, not yeah, really. Doesn't really do anything. Doesn't really do anything for me. <laughs> I think there's more concrete uh, ways to support them, but such as. I don't know. Either if you're gonna be direct donation, or if you have the. I guess. I guess we're in Halifax. It doesn't really make much sense. But fly over there and have fun. <laughs> of course. I don't. I wouldn't call what's goes on at Standing Rock Slacktivism, I think that there is an awareness that's being created. However, when it comes down to actually um, having an impact on which, like a decision 
would be made in regards to it, I'm not so sure. Mm -hmm. But I do think it is having, sorry, I do think that it being so easy to do something like just simply check in and I've done my part, that's great, kind of it causes it it to fall a little bit short. Mm -hmm. Do you think that those people that are checking in should be doing more? Ideally, but I also understand that when you're so far away, real life get like no I don't even want to call it, I don't want to call it real life but you know life gets in the way of these things so I think people that really believe very strongly in it should be doing more I'm not sure how because it takes a lot of organization to <laughs> do that kind of thing but it would be something for people to explore who really who want to get more involved mm-hmm. yeah but I, I in no way think that it's bad that people are just checking in because that is some better than what other people are doing which is nothing so definitely Over one and a half million people have checked into an unofficial Standing Rock Indian Reservation Facebook page since the campaign started. It's easy to sit and click, but some people feel moved to become more deeply involved. And then, checking in might mean an airline ticket to where the action is. Becca Lash is a Dalhousie student who is one of 99 young people arrested on Parliament Hill for protesting the approval of the Kinder Morgan pipeline in British Columbia. The Signal's Alex Rose talked to her about what it feels like to be part of such a big protest. It was incredibly powerful. I have never done any civil disobedience before. This was my, personally, my first brush with the law. It made it very clear how essential making a strong case for climate justice is. And not to say that activism should ever jeopardize your own safety, but I think that it really sent a strong message that our that our government that that the people who say, who are claiming to represent us are not representing us at all, and that I think especially to to stand in solidarity with with First Nations who have been affected by environmental racism and our communities who are on the front lines who don't have a choice whether to jeopardize their security, to to take a stand against these things. I think it to be there was was incredibly meaningful um and i think it's very easy for for people who live their everyday lives in relative comfort and aren't directly affected by you know environmental degradation and aren't directly affected by by the industry that's 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 causing climate change to think that you know this is something that they can just sort of let happen and it's not going to affect them so i think to make the choice to to put yourself out of your comfort zone, especially in solidarity with people, uh, with First Nations, and and really understanding how deeply political this is, how serious this is. Um, it was it was very powerful. It was very humbling. That was Becca Lash, a member of Divest Dal, who was arrested for protesting on Parliament Hill against the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Sometimes activism isn't about people or even the environment. Direct Action Everywhere Halifax is an animal rights group. Recently, members of the group protested on Spring Garden Road. They showed video footage from the documentary Earthlings. Some wore animal masks, while others handed out flyers. We sent the signals Ali Conway to bring us a sense of what happened. Life is literally drained from so-called food animals. Veganism! Would you like a pamphlet? I, I got one on veganism here. What's That's right, one? same thing. You know my sister is. I think that this type of activism, like with the um, 
with the videos, like actually showing it, it kind of speaks for itself. It's not like a people just walk by and they're like, oh, they're just a bunch of hippies that don't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it, you can see it. Like, it's, it's, you can't excuse it away. Like, it's just right there. The tear in that cow's eye, that's breaking my heart. All I could see was like a whole chicken coming, like I just, I couldn't, so yeah, it's definitely more of an ethical thing at this point. We might not be able to stand here, but we'll find out. <laughs> I have a kitty. I love animals. Yeah. I love animals. Don't we all? To support animals um, and inform people about how they're treated. There's a website list on the bottom that has all kinds of great this is resources. Kind of scary right it is. It's, what we do Never is really like scary. That. Neither did I until last year. I want people to see this. Like I want them to, I want to be forced to see it. Here, put that away. Let's go. Come on. What Give do we do? Sample of something. Would you like a flyer? I'm trying to raise awareness about farmed animals in Canada. I think that Vegans should lead by example, not through protests and jamming their opinions in other people's faces. Would you guys like a flyer? Great. Have a good night. Well, you know what? It does make me think. And it does make me realize that, you know, everybody's different and everybody has their own kind of way that they feel about things. Me, on the other hand, I love my steak. I can't do without it. Uh, I have it at least twice a week. On, I got mine all gone. Hurry up. Oh, really? <laughs> I just feel compelled to share the knowledge that I've gained in the last year and help raise awareness about the way animals are treated in Canada because people deserve to know the truth even if they don't want to. Those were sounds and voices at a protest by Direct, a Direct Action Everywhere recorded by Ali Conway. There are activists concerned about how we treat food animals and there are activists focused on food itself. Bryant Terry is a well-known chef, author, and activist who lives in San Francisco. He was in Halifax recently to talk about poverty, racism, and food insecurity. He spoke to the Signals and Zynga Miller. My main focus is just using real food. You know, the litmus test for the success of my recipes isn't if my cool hip friends in Toronto or Brooklyn or Oakland like them, but if my um, family members in the Deep South. How do you see what you do as activism? I was talking about this earlier when I was signing books with someone about the kind of limited way in which I used to imagine activism. You have to, you know, help shift people's habits and attitudes in politics, and sometimes that means um, doing things that we might not traditionally perceive as activism. I see my cookbook writing as a form of activism because if I can inspire people to make food at home, if I can inspire people to make real food, then I think I've done like a really important service to humanity. When we're thinking about uh, marginalized communities, whether it's in the States, in um, Canada, or Kenya, we have to question capitalism. This is a flawed economic system. People are going to be exploited. You know, the approach that many people have is this one of kind of like this capitalistic individual transformation and not understanding the larger structural shifts that need to take place. Every dollar we spend is a vote for the type of food system we want to see. Lastly, we need to be engaged as citizens. We need to change policies on the local level, on the state level, on the federal level to ensure that everyday eaters are actually getting the opportunity to have access to the bounty that should be afforded to everyone. From the top to the bottom, I understand my work as um, social justice, food justice activism. Bryant Terry is a food activist and the author of Afro-Vegan. 
Activism can take many forms, from online actions to protest on the street. But artistic media can also highlight social unrest around injustice. Lissa Skitolsky teaches philosophy and hip-hop at Susquehanna University in Pennsylvania. She recently told a Halifax audience how hip-hop music depicts race relations in the United States. The Signal's Diana Foxell was there. philosophical text and testimony about the predictable structural nature of violence against people of color in the United States. My first indication that all was not right in the United States of America, my first indication that America is inextricable um, from the infliction of genocide on people of color was actually hip-hop. So it really made me the activist that I am today. Hip-hop is the only form of popular culture ever to consistently testify to the conditions of confinement in the United States, rather than really the obscenely high number right, of people in prison. And you can't recognize the genocidal structure of the prison system unless you recognize that the conditions of confinement amount to conditions of torture. You have to recognize that no actual progress has been made, but that the genocidal violence against people of color has simply switched forms. In the United States, we do not recognize slavery as a traumatic, violent system. We romanticize it, right? And we say, oh, we've come so far. for catharsis and relief, right? It's not like an expunging of the emotions, but instead provokes righteous indignation and critical thought on structural racism. Tupac uses the word atrocity, and I think that's extremely important in this interview when he talks about the suffering of African Americans. And you'll see that he refuses to buy into any kind of optimistic narrative that everything will be okay. Um, and that to me is like really the spirit of hip hop. Obviously Kendrick Lamar is enormously important. I don't think Kid Cudi gets enough credit for the activism in his work. I'm rather obsessed with Kid Cudi. I also think J. Cole is enormously important as a feminist, too. I see J. Cole as a feminist rapper. I mean, he's really uh, enormously important in the way he uh, portrays women and raps about women in his song. So I think there's a really thin line between appreciation and co-option, and I don't think that white rappers should ever be comfortable where they stand on that line. Lissa Skatolsky teaches philosophy and hip-hop at a university in Pennsylvania. Her talk was followed by performances from local hip-hop artists who also spoke about how music gives them a chance to represent their communities and race. And here's Mage. He's an artist from East Preston. His song, Smile, describes racial stereotypes. I'm Robert Crossley. And I'm Jennifer Lee. Thank you for listening to the stories from the radio workshop at the University of King's College School of Journalism. You got the smile. 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 You got the smile.
got the smile. You got uh, the smile. It's your time, your time, your time. It's your time to shine. I know you've been looking for some real peace of mind. You feel like your heart is broken. You can have a peace of mind. Can't wipe away history. We can wipe away tears. They gave us a month. Let's celebrate all year. Don't let them interrupt. Don't let them interfere. Stigmas won't disappear, but we ain't going anywhere. We kings and queens, you know how we get down. So wear that afro like a crown. Don't let them tell your story, cause you know that they'll leave things out. And throw shade on the potential that we bring out. Want you to keep quiet and just play your part. I know the system don't love you, but keep loving your heart. So even when it's going down, just like Josh said, you gotta keep your head up, just like Pop said. Like Pot said, you gotta smile, cause you got 